This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And for listeners out there, we have yet another first. We have had in the recording studio with us, we've had dogs, cats, baby chicks, baby other geese. kinds of birds, I think, yeah, <laughs> geese. But I believe mm-hmm. for the first time ever, we have a goat in our recording studio <laughs> today. So if you hear anything strange, which I know you'll be used to if you're a regular listener of this show, um, that's what it is. Yes. And hopefully he'll be quiet. But yes, little tiny baby goat in a little dog cage because he decided that he doesn't want to be alive anymore. And that's not OK with me. And if I have any say of it, then he's going to stay alive. So we'll see who's wins this one but and i'm not good as we were <laughs> starting taylor said oh he's in the house but he's in the other room and he's starting to make noise so i need to bring him in i'm like okay cool yeah because if he sees me then he's like oh it's like his mom so everything's okay and if he's alone then he starts crying like but i don't want him to cry not only for the recording but you know he's very weak and i just he needs his strength so i just brought him in and put a little blanket over his cage and he'll settle down and sleep all right. So. so you were very specific with uh, with that. You're a little bit vague about the blanket. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going with this. <laughs> so we had the title of, of this, this week's episode is to vague or not to vague. Yeah. And I guess that is the question, right? That is the question, right? So I got to thinking about this as uh, the follow up where last week's show, we had that little tiny side note about description. And I was explaining that when it comes to description, you only get one shot. And we, we've we discussed that concept before. So it wasn't like the first time it ever showed up in that episode, but it's been a while. And I honestly, I don't even, can't even begin to guess at what episode we covered it originally, but I know we did cover it. And so I don't want to like do a full repeat on that here, but what I did want to do is look at that same concept from a slightly different angle. And in this case, through the lens of vagueness, Uh, It got me thinking about vagueness. and But to do that, we kind of need to make sure we're all speaking the same language and coming from the same sort of understanding foundation or whatever. So I wanted to at least refresh on those thought processes or the the hacks that are, they're guiding this, right? So the first one is the one that we spoke about last week where you only get one shot at description. And what this means is if you're introducing a character whether that introduction is the first time the reader is seeing the character or if it's the first time the point of view character is seeing them and making observations, even if the reader's already seen that character through some other character's eyes, then everything that needs to be said about that character's appearance, it needs to be in one place. So using the example that we had last week where... Um, I was saying how you can describe a female character as tall, blonde, and with a figure that men struggled to avert their eyes from, blah, blah, blah. When she walked across the room, it needs to all be in one place. And then you 
if you then go later into more specific detail on how tall tall is or haircut and styles or all those specific details about her figure, you mess everything up. So whatever detail is in there, it needs to go all up front. You can speak in generalities or you can speak in specifics, but you can't do both. And it all has to be at the same time. You only get that one shot at it. And, and the reason for that is, like we explained, is that because once you provide that descriptive detail, the reading brain uses that to create its own pictures. And when you add more detail later, you're forcing the brain to go back and rewrite what it knows. And that's really disruptive. And basically, when you do that, you're just dumping a lot of grit into the reading process and you're making it unpleasant. So you only get one shot description. And again, you can speak in generalities or you can speak in specifics when you're doing that description, but you can't do both. You don't say it vague or generally speaking first and then come in after with more detail. Just the one. You got to pick. The second is like belongs with like. And this is similar to you only get one shot description, but it's different also. They they go hand in hand though. And so what like belongs with like is telling us is that if you're describing something, then everything about that something in that moment or scene needs to go together. So using the example from last week, our made up character, she had three descriptive elements. She's tall, she's blonde, and she has the kind of figure, blah, blah, blah. So together, those three details, they paint, a really sort of just general broad sketch visual of what this character looks like. But that only works if all those elements stay together. So like belongs with like tells us that we can't introduce this character as tall and blonde and then move on into action or inner dialogue or some other observation and then come back to her again and add the part about her figure later on. And it's different from that you only get one shot description because This additional description that we're adding, like split up, it's not clarifying or changing any of the original in any way. It's not like forcing the brain to overwrite tall with, you know, five foot eight. It's just adding more general description later on. So it's not the same as you only get that one shot. We're not overwriting anything. We're breaking it up into different parts. And there aren't any visuals that are going to have to be rewritten. But to the reading brain, it doesn't matter. Once you've provided description and moved on, then any additional description is going to create that same disruption, that same sort of info dumpy grit into the equation. But like belongs with like also takes a step further because it's not just talking about description. It's talking about inner dialogue and character interaction and everything else that connects. So if we use our example from the previous show, when we can introduce this woman as tall and blonde and with the figure that men struggled to avert their gaze from blah, 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 that's great. And if that's all we need to know about her, then we're free to move on like to whatever comes next. We've, we've given our little description, right? But let's say the point of view character who's observing that woman and providing that description to the audience, let's say that he's got more thoughts about her or he has a history with her, or maybe there are plot points that connect to her in other ways. Well, then like belongs with like means those elements also need to show up in the same general place as a physical description. So you can't introduce the woman and how she looks and then move on to the action. And then two pages later, you let the reader know that that character has a history with the woman. You just can't do that. It's it's super disruptive. We need to know that up front. 
And that's what like belongs with like means. It's like everything that has to do with this one thing belongs in the same general place. So, but that doesn't mean that everything about everything related her to her needs to go in that same place. It just means there needs to be enough for us to understand that there is more and how that more connects to the story. So I'm going to give you an example of what it would look like maybe if we combined you only get one shot description together with like belongs with like and how that would look on the page using our made up fictional character and now a made up fictional story to go with it. So this is going to be from the point of view of the character who's making the observation and let's say it's in the middle of a scene somewhere. And so stuff has already been happening and now we see this woman, right? So a tall, a tall blonde woman stepped through the door, scanned the room, and headed for the table on the left. Faces turned as she strode by, gazes lingering long enough to become lecherous. Bob, too, he's our character, Bob, too, tracked her as she crossed the room, unable to look away, but not for the same reason as the rest of them. He'd seen that woman before. Her hair was different. Her hair was different cut and color than it had been then. And that tight black dress, a world apart, the baggy jeans and sweatshirt in which he'd last seen her. But a fear like that was impossible to disguise, no matter what form of fabric draped it. And it was her, definitely her. Paris, the Palermo contract, 2019. His insides roiled, his fists clenched, so close to securing this deal, and she turns up. Her head turned slightly, caught his eye, winked. A surge of rage coursed through him. She'd known he'd be there. She'd come for his at the table. She was toying with him. He took a step in her direction and then another. She wanted to play? Fine. Let the games begin. So All right. that well, I gotta, is... I got to stop you right there. Okay. I want to I read this whole thing. I wanna, and I know you just <laughs> made that up and there is no whole thing and now I'm mad. <laughs> I'm sorry. But anybody who's listening is welcome to make a story that Steve wants so Steve can get the rest of it. But this is an example of what it looks like. Like the, the same three details are there. We like, I haven't given any other physical description of that woman. I just, you know, tall, blonde, and with that figure, right? But, and, and now we know that he has a history with her too. We don't know the details of that history. We just know that there is a history. And what we haven't done is give her description, then describe the room, then move on to some action, then give us some thoughts from Bob, then turn our attention back to the woman, then have more thoughts on the woman. It's not all split up like that. It is like belongs with like. And we give the information that we need for that particular scene to work well. And we would assume in the hands of a decent storyteller that what doesn't show up in this scene now is definitely going to show up at some point later and our interest is peaked. But what we know is there's a history and we know how she looks and we know that they are not on friendly terms. Terms, enough, move on, keep the action going, right? That's how it would look on the page. So that's just, that is just like belongs with like. And then later, you have all the space you need to create that mental movie without overriding anything or adding grit because all the pieces that we needed to know, they were handed to us right up front at the beginning. So now we have those two basic, those hacks are like basic baseline, right? And so I wanted to look at how they intersect 
with the principle of avoiding vagueness. So vagueness is, by definition, a lack of clarity. And the reading brain requires clarity to be able to transmute these black and white, black squiggles on a white page into mental movies in our heads. And the vaguer something is, the more the brain has to work to suss out the meaning and then fit that meaning into the movie. So when we speak about vagueness as being something to avoid, something bad, what we're really talking about is intent. So we're asking, what is this term, this phrase, this sentence? What does this thought really mean? What is it intended to say? And if the reader isn't certain, if that intent isn't clear, it becomes gritty. And it, it just bogs down the whole mental movie reading process. But there are some forms of vagueness that actually can strengthen a story and strengthen the writing rather than weaken it. And for the sake of avoiding any confusion here, trying to talk about like good vagueness, bad vagueness or whatever, I'm just going to separate the two of them and refer to vagueness as vagueness. That's what we want to avoid. That's badness. And then the good part of it are the words allude and imply. So when we allude to something, we imply something, we're being vague, but we're being intentionally vague, which is completely different than vagueness without intention. So allude and imply, they're different because the intent is still clear, right? Clarity of thought is what we're going for here. So even if the details themselves aren't brought forth in living color, the implication that those details do exist is alluded to, so the intent is clear. And the reason these three issues come together, which is the you only get one shot description and like belongs with like, and vagueness, the reason those three things come together is that this need to avoid vagueness can be itself the root of overdescription. And overdescription is what sets up scenes that violate the you get one shot and like belongs with like. So when we don't have a clear understanding of what vagueness is, it's easy to confuse what we're trying to avoid, which is lack of clarity, and what actually does work in the right time and place, which is implication and illusion. So when we conflate those two, then there's that tendency to fill in every single detail with specifics, even when those specifics aren't necessary to the story or to that specific part of the story. And over-description tends to create big blocks of info-dumpy info-dumpy detail. And since we're also trying to avoid big blocks of info-dumpy detail, we try to resolve that by breaking the detail up and spreading it out, which then leads us right back to violating you get one shot at detail and like belongs with like. So being able to understand the difference between vagueness and implication slash illusion is an important concept to master in keeping your wordcraft clean and powerful. So I want to go back and look at that same descriptive detail from last week and see how that plays into this concept of vagueness. So we 
had our fiction, our made up character be tall blonde and with a figure that men struggled to look away from. And I'm so embarrassed. Every time I have to say that, I'm just like, seriously, that's what I went with. Anyway, I like it. When we, <laughs> when we go with a description like that, none of those details are concrete. They're not absolute. Like we were talking about this in comparison to numbers, how numbers are absolute and our brain functions with those differently. But these details, tall blonde, description of her figure, they do not require any sense of precision. So are they vague? And technically, yes, yes, they are. But how do we know if it's the good kind of vagueness or the bad kind of vagueness? And the answer comes by asking two questions. So one is, is the intent clear? So if the, the answer is a resounding yes, then you need to stop there. If the intent is clear, you're in the clear. And my personal take on those details, that description of that woman, those three things, is that most people who have the ability to see things in their mind's eye, they'd be able to construct a mental image out of those details without any issue. So in my mind, the answer would be, is the intent clear? Yes. End of story. Move on. But for the sake of argument and to push us forward and get to the next part, let's just say that no, the intent is not clear. So that leads us to the next question. Does it matter? So again, using those same details, does this character's specific height, we'll just focus on the height for a second. Does that, does this specific character's height play into the story? Will not knowing the exact measurements be a problem later? If these details don't matter to the character or to the story, if they're just sort of being made available to provide this, paint this quick picture so you can keep everything moving, then they work. The intent is clear. They don't matter. It's just, this is who this woman is. This is what this character is seeing. And on we go. But when would it matter for a detail like height? So let's look at two characters that I think most of our listeners would be familiar with, Jack Reacher and Vanessa Michael Monroe. So Jack Reacher's height is very clearly spelled out in the books. We know he's six foot five. So we ask ourselves, well, first of all, we know that the detail is exact, right? So we don't need to ask ourselves if the intent is clear. It's there. It's black and white. Can't mistake it. But the second question, does it matter? Well, would this character and the stories be as effective? Would they resonate the way they do if this character had merely been described as tall? And to that, the answer, in my opinion, is probably not. Because Jack Reacher's height has a lot to do with how the world responds to him and how he interacts with the world. Just saying that he's in, he is tall in that context becomes meaningless. Therefore, it becomes vague and the intent is not clear. I think we see where I'm going with this here now, right? So let's look at Vanessa Michael Monroe. Her height is implied. It's alluded to. It's never directly stated in any of the books. So how tall is she really? She's five foot ten. And this is communicated in just about every book as a comparison to the height of things around her, usually other people. So it'd be like, you know, this character was six foot, which made him, which put them, you know, eye to eye when she was wearing four foot, four inch heels. Okay. You can do the simple math and you know that she's five foot 
10 or maybe two inch heels. I, I forget. Sorry. Like, it's been a long day. As a disclaimer, <laughs> we often say Taylor's not good at math. Yes. Yes. Please forgive me. But you get where I'm coming from. Okay. So if you've been paying attention as you read it and you do the math, you can get, you can get the exact number. It's never exactly stated. But does it matter? Does her height matter to the story? Yes. Her height is a large part of what allows herself to pass herself off as male. But she could still do it, but it's a whole lot harder when you're five foot three than when you're five foot ten. And five foot ten is even above average for male height, but it's exceptionally tall for a woman. So if the height was never discussed, if it was, if even if the implication was not there, like the implication, honestly, for a lot of people still isn't enough. They're just as bad as Matt as I am. <laughs> they just get this image of, you know, dragon tattooed girl in their head and they think small and petite and it throws the whole thing off and they can't imagine her being able to, you know, be as aggressive or combat ready or as effective as she is against men because in their mind, she's a small woman. So would it have been better served if I did spell out her height? Does it matter that much? Maybe, but I didn't want to because I think, thought it was that's just not my style. So I work with a lot more implications and illusion. I allude to things a lot more. But the, the, the information is there because it matters. It matters to the story. It matters to the character. And that's how we know with detail, is, does this detail matter? So I was recently reading something that had a lot more detail in it than I thought it should. Like, who am I to say? It's not my story. And, you know, nobody should feel like they have to write the way that I do. But what I did find myself doing was skipping a lot because it didn't matter to the story, or at least not that part of the story. So when you're faced with this issue, of how much detail do I provide? Do I spell this detail out in like just excruciating facts? This is their height. This is their shoulder width. This is how they like to dress. This is their behavior. Like, would you, am I going to, do I need to put all of that there or not? And you can answer that for yourself with two very quick, two very simple questions. Is the intent clear and does it matter? And if the intent is clear, because it's there in black and white, but it doesn't matter, then back off on the details. If you've gone vague and the intent isn't clear, then get more of those details in there because they're necessary. How far do you go? Only to the point where it matters. So it's a very simple uh, test that you do for yourself, but it's just that there's a bazillion instances in each story where you're going to go into detail or stuff and it can get really, really, really tedious to keep asking yourself those questions. So just write your story. Where you ask those questions is on your subsequent drafts, when you're cleaning stuff up, when you're trying to tighten it, when you're getting closer to your final draft, that's when you need to be asking yourself these. And that's your chance to come in and change things. And it will, by, by asking those questions of yourself, it will allow you to be clear instead of vague, and it will save you from providing too much detail and forcing you to either face a chunk of just text of information 
or violating the you get one shot and like belongs with like. And so these two questions are basically a really easy way to bypass all that clutter and confusion and figure out, does this belong or does this not belong? How can I keep from chopping this all up? Is the intent clear? Doesn't matter. That's all. I love it. We could almost call this a hack. It is, it is technically a hack, but it's just not something you can, can put into two words or five words or whatever, you know. It is a simple test, though, with two simple questions. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Well, you're free to use it. <laughs> <laughs> As are you, fellow listeners. <laughs> yes. All right. So I didn't hear a peep out of your um, roommate. Well, good. I need him to sleep. And then I'll go try and feed him again a little bit. And then I'm going to go take him out to his mom and let her sniff him. Because my hope is that if I can keep him alive, that eventually I can return him to her and let her continue taking care of him. Because I do not want, nor need, nor have time or patience for full-time bottle baby. (laughs) And while we did not go into detail um, in in tonight's episode, there is a a recent post in Patreon that you'll be able to check out that Taylor wrote a story about about the goats with a beautiful goat picture that uh, you can check out on Taylor's Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens. And it was a very dramatic Manic story, a happy ending. <laughs> of course. Yes, it's not just a post, it's a story. Yeah, not just, hey, there's a baby. It was like, oh my God, where did this baby come from? <laughs> what, what was the title? Baby is it? Yes, this baby is this. Where did it come from? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. We will be back with you again next Tuesday. Thanks for being here, guys. See you next week. <laughs>